So let's check the sound. Hopefully the crackling noise isn't there. Sound okay? Okay, good. This evening's talk is called Hindrances and Distractions as Portals to the Path. I want to begin with a poem from Rosemary Watula Tromer called Transformation. I need a rainstorm on the inside, the kind that relentlessly pours the kind that rearranges everything, leaves nothing untouched. I need a deluge that drowns out any voices that would offer easy answers. I need a cloudburst to flood everything I think I know that carries me until I too am current. Have I gotten so dry inside, so brittle and sure, Give me a gully washer, the kind that scours and remakes its path as it flows. I want it. And yet, when I feel the first drops, I scramble for the umbrella. As if it would do any good, there it is, petrichor, earthy fragrance of change. The big rain will come when it comes, and when it comes, there will be no stopping it then. I thought this was an appropriate place to start because we come here, we come to practice wanting to be rearranged, to be transformed, for something to, for there to be an upheaval a movement, to be able to see things in a new way, to find a new kind of happiness, a deeper happiness, a relief from the places of suffering, perhaps a calm, a tranquility that we haven't known before. But we also have a lot of ideas about how we want that to happen. And when it happens in its own rambunctious, unpredictable, sometimes unpleasant way, we're often not so pleased and we run back to safe territory, to what's familiar, to what we know. And so a big part of the practice is going into the unfamiliar to be willing to make contact with the deluge, with the upheaval, with the difficult, with the unknown. 
And not just to tolerate it, but to open ourselves to it. To lay ourselves in the way of the storm and to meet it. And to use the old cliche, to then dance in the rain. So we've been on these couple days as we've been settling in, we've been collecting and stabilizing the mind. We've been, when things come up, when there starts to be a storm, we actually instructed you, run to the umbrella. This is a good time to not get overwhelmed. Wait, wait. And so we've said, when things come up, set them aside. Say, yeah, I see you there. But for now, I'm just staying with my anchor. I'm just letting this, my system settle. And that is such a useful thing to do because otherwise we may find ourselves instead of dancing, we may find ourselves simply swept off our feet and lost. And so we need this stability that we've been cultivating. And the more stability we have, the more we can stand in the midst of whatever is offered to us, in the midst of the floods and the storms and the rainbows. And now we are going to, over the coming days, start to invite you to start opening to all those things you've been setting aside, to checking them out, to like, what is going on here if I really pay attention and if I don't run for the umbrella? Now, I want to be really clear that I have an umbrella. I like my umbrella. I use it whenever I need it. Don't you? So there's nothing wrong with the umbrella. You can always come back to your anchor. It's always a skillful thing to do, to have some place that gives you refuge and ease and a chance to breathe. But then to also allow ourselves into this new and wilder storm. And the hindrances... There, that sort of a, um, the name hindrances kind of comes from early translations. You might call them challenges, energies, opportunities. They're hindrances when we don't notice that they're there. When things are pulling us under and we don't pay attention, we don't recognize them. But once we turn to them, they're portals, they're openings. And some of them you're very familiar, everybody's familiar with all of them, but you may have had special extra familiarity over these couple two days and maybe in your practice in general. And I'll just name them and then I'm going to go into them in more detail. But wanting that leaning forward, greed, 
wanting something that isn't here. Aversion, pushing away, not wanting what is here. Restlessness, that's come up a few times, and Oren has given you some suggestions around it, and I'll give you some more. Sloth and torpor, tiredness, that whole cluster sometimes includes spaciness, checking out, dreaminess, can sometimes move into a kind of daydream fantasy world. And then the classic fifth hindrance of doubt. There's also a couple other areas of things that I would put in this category, including judging and the self-critic. These two have a hindrance quality when we don't pay attention to them. And also there's general distractions, sort of the proliferation of mind, songs, movies. I don't know about you, but I have discovered that I cannot watch any movies, anything on a screen for about two weeks before I go on retreat, or I just see it every time I close my eyes. But I'll make a couple of suggestions, hopefully. Fantasies, they kind of fall in there. And then all the proliferation of the thinking mind, which I won't get into a lot. We'll talk more about it as the week progresses. So I mentioned before that the hindrances and these distractions when we're unaware of them, they steal us away. They take us into unwholesome states of mind and heart. They make it, we tend to get lost. We get hooked. We get hooked. And it's unpleasant and it's difficult. And yet, meeting these, getting to know them, finding our way through them is an incredibly beautiful practice and it transfers to our daily lives. I really understood the, the, this transferring to daily life when um, Bhikkhu Analio, who is a wonderful uh, monastic and um, quite amazing practitioner and uh, scholar, very deep scholar, who is ridiculously prolific in his studies and his papers that he puts out and books and all that. And yet somehow he manages to do that like a couple days a week and all the other days he practices like all day. And somebody once asked him, you know, how can you be putting out all these books and scholars? He, he's learned, you know, ancient Chinese and Sanskrit and, and compares old suttas. And, and it's like, how do you do all this? How do you get this done? How can you write them faster than I can read them? And he said... I attend to the hindrances. 
when I sit down to work, I see if any of the hindrances are present. And if they are, I attend to them, see what's needed. And then when my mind is clear of the hindrances, I do the task in front of me. And then he said something quite quite encouraging. He said, anybody could do what I do if they freed their mind of the hindrances. There's something he really is pointing to how we're caught, we're tied up, our energy is so tied up in the hindrances and in these distractions, in the ways we get caught. And that if we can free ourselves of that, there's so much incredible potential in each of us. Maybe we wouldn't choose to spend it in exactly the way he does, but you would spend it in the way you, flowers in you. And so that's part of what we're encouraging here, we're exploring How do we recognize and work with them? These powerful doorways. So another poem from Rosemary Watula Tromer called Between. And if a door closes before another opens, well, sometimes in the hall, Between those doors, I find the precarious beauty that can only be met when I am not quite safe, not quite certain, not quite a self, and wholly here. I'm talking tiny dust mote in the deep field of beauty, beauty that refuses to be named, This is what it's like to learn to trust, to live with one arm forward, one arm arm back, and feel marvelously stretched, perilously opened, like a flute, like a kite, like a wing. this possibility of these portals, this way into the unknown. In this attitude, we turn towards everything. Everything is practice. It's one of my favorite recognitions that whatever is here, that is your place of practice. We're so tempted to try to believe that our practice is somewhere else, as it looks differently. That if I could just get rid of something, if I could just make my breath right, if I could, my posture was just perfect, if my mind would just stop, then, then I could practice, then it would be good. But the practice is right here, meeting what's here, turning towards it. And we learn to respond in different ways, depending on what the situation is. 
So sometimes, as we've been learning and you've been practicing, just setting aside what comes. Sometimes when an aversion attack comes or there's a lot of restlessness, it's very skillful to simply set it aside. It might be too big, overwhelming. We might not feel steady enough to meet it. Sometimes if fear comes, we might not be ready to meet that. And so we might set it aside by coming back to our anchor, which is a kind of changing the channel. Instead of getting involved in it, we come back to the breath channel or the sound channel. And we we don't have to push it away or get in an argument with it. It's just like, no, I'm not going to pay attention to that right now. That's not the right time. And then sometimes we might more actively apply an antidote, more actively acknowledging that it's here and then doing something in response. It's like we change the glasses through which we're seeing it. Perhaps an aversion comes up, and I'll say more about this relative to each one. You'll hear these themes coming back in. But, you know, an aversion comes up, and we might purposefully meet it with kindness. Sleepiness comes, and we might purposely arouse some energy. That's applying an antidote to meet the actual condition that's there. Another aspect of this turning towards, of these being portals, is meeting them all with kindness, with recognition and with kindness, not in a fight with what is, letting go of the battle. And from there, we can move toward with interest and curiosity. What's here? What's happening? What might I know about this? Oh, really? So another test, doesn't sound very loud. Thank you. Yeah, I'm on number two now, Abby. I'll do a little more talking. We'll see how it goes. Seems like, is it starting? Oh, there it is. We're about there. Okay, now can you hear again? Okay. Thank you. Thank you. So this attitude of moving towards. Here's a poem from Pesha Gertler called The Healing Time. 
Finally, on my way to yes, I bump into all the places where I said no to my life. All the untended wounds, the red and purple scars, those hieroglyphs of pain carved into my skin, my bones, those coded messages that send me down the wrong street again and again. Where I find them, the old wounds, the old misdirections, and I lift them one by one close to my heart, and I say, holy, holy. So as we move towards each of these energies, challenges, portals, it helps to name them, to note what's here, to recognize it. And then to sense it in the body. This is a very, very key understanding and instruction. To feel what's here in our heart and body. Not, it's letting go of thinking about it. And you can feel thinking about something is once removed from it. It's like we're kind of not really willing to make contact. And so the primary instruction is to be willing to make contact. Lift it up, whatever it is, if it's an aversion, if it's a memory, if it's a pain, an emotion, a delight, pick it up and hold it close and feel it and get to know it. And as you do this, you might come to understand various things about it. You might understand and see the belief structures that hold it in place. You might feel the familiarity and the comfort of something that on the surface doesn't seem very skillful, and maybe it's not skillful, but it's familiar and it's a strategy that has served you. It's a habit. It's a way of meeting the world that you already know. And this is where that willingness to go into unknown territory, to meet and even question. And to recognize that the way we meet the world is a result of our personal history. It's a result of our cultural history. You know, just take wanting, for instance. We are in a culture that celebrates wanting. How could you possibly not pick that up? We are told again and again that wanting is, and then not just wanting, getting, is going to make us happy. It's, it's, we're saturated in it, marinating in it. It's not that we've personally done something wrong, that we've picked that up. We are so porous beings. We, what is outside is inside. It flows through us. It takes a lot of attention to go, oh, wow, look what's been picked up. 
Look at all these belief structures here. And we bring whatever mm, these habits, they may play out in the world in certain ways, but it's interesting, we bring them all to our practice. They're a little subtler there. So the wanting might play out here a little differently, wanting some perfect, peaceful state. Not wanting, having aversion to some particular sound. And so on. And so this willingness to have a sacred outlook that all everything that's here is worthy of attention because it's all a microcosm of the macrocosm. What happens on your cushion is not only going to happen on your cushion. It's a play. It's playing out of the conditioning that you bring. And that's why it's important. Because when you are with it on the cushion in your practice, you are playing in this territory that is not separate from your life or from the world. So to say some things specifically about the different, these different challenges, I've been talking some about the wanting one. And the Buddha had an analogy. He said, he talked about each of, like if there's a pond, and he said each of the hindrances has an effect on the water in the pond. And he says, wanting is like we mix the water and we dye it. It's no longer clear. And it's like, now it's like all these different pretty colors. And we start to be transfixed. We lose track of the water and are transfixed by all the dyes. And you have been partaking of the primary antidote to this wanting mind, which is collecting the mind. Do you notice that as you become more stable in the breath, the way your mind wanders off looking for things to want kind of starts to settle. And you can feel how it's in a mom- moments when you're not so collected that the wanting for lunch comes or the wanting to go for a walk or the wanting of something at home, some pleasure that, you're not, that you've let go of. Kabir, I said to the wanting creature inside me, What is this river you want to cross? Do you believe there is some place that will make the soul less thirsty? In that great absence, you will find nothing. Be strong then and enter into your own body. There you have a solid place for your feet. Think about it carefully. Don't go off somewhere else. 
we know this. We have so many ways that we talk about this. You know, the grass is always greener on the other side, right? We, we, we know this tendency of the mind. And in it, this wanting, there's something very important that happens that is worth noting, is that there's a rejection of the present moment. That when we're wanting something else, we're rejecting what's here. And it's also a kind of rejecting of ourselves. We're rejecting what is here right now. And that is quite a... um, When we start to see that rejection, we can see the dukkha in it. And as Don was speaking about last night, that trust the trust to come back, that what's here is enough. That what we are is enough. We don't need something else to be complete. It's fueled by this misunderstanding of what will make us happy. And the Buddha was so clear in his instructions, right here, in this fathom-long body, this is where you'll find the Dharma, this is where you'll find release and happiness and freedom. And sometimes we can use an antidote. The Buddha suggested that a wise attention on the repulsive aspects of what we want will help us. And for a long time, I was like, repulsive aspects, really? And then I realized that I do this, that when there's something I want, and I sort of sense, you know, that's not very skillful. You know, that's not actually going to satisfy. And I kind of, and then I can notice some of the aspects of something. Like, say I want some gadget. I'm not really a gadget person, though, so that's not a good example. I want some piece of um, outdoor sporting equipment. There, we got me. And I have one that maybe is pretty old, like 30 or 40 years old. But I can remind myself, I can use my care for the earth. I can use my care for my own body, for other people. I can use these things and recognize, oh, if I go after that, a repulsive aspect of it is that it took resources to make that. And that, do I really need that? Do I really want to have that impact? And so that's a way, an antidote for me of seeing, oh, it's not really as shiny an object as I thought it was. And then attending to the satisfaction that's already here. Isn't that wonderful? I have this pack that's an old friend that I've had for all these years, and it works. And I'm okay. I'm okay. 
So finding the way to break through the wanting, and sometimes it's good to just name, I'm hooked by my wanting. And the thing that I need to do is just wait it out. Just wait it out. And a lot of times when we're practicing, that's part of what we learn to do. You've probably noticed that, that some wanting for the for lunch, for the bell, for an ache to go away in your body. And it just, yeah, that's there. And if you don't focus on it, it too will pass. Another way that we can work with this wanting is that the opposite of greed, of this wanting, is generosity. So it's really a beautiful thing to have in a moment, instead of what can I get from this moment, what can I give to this moment? What if you began your practice, a certain sit, with what can I give to this sitting period? What can I give away? What can I offer How would that change? And at first we might go, that doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any less sense than what can I get? A little phrase that I use for myself that makes sense in this context is when I'm sitting, I remind myself, it's not about me. This practice is not about me. I'm not going to get anything out of it. I'm cultivating the possibility of an attitude of kindness, of being able to give away and let go. Jack Hornfield once said, this, this uh, practice, this coming on retreat, is not like coming to the department store. It's like coming to the dump. Seeing what you can get rid of. (laughs) So the paired quality with this is ill will or aversion. And the Buddha in his water analogy said it's like boiling water. Doesn't that sound right? You can't really see. It's just hot and... And we can feel the suffering and aversion. Sometimes it's even more obvious than in the wanting. And we can feel the rejection of what is presenting itself. The rejection is more obvious. It's really helpful to recognize that this is a conditioned response, just like the wanting. It's habit. It's a defensive strategy. We're trying to take care of ourselves. It's really helpful to remember that in all of this, we're trying to make things familiar. We're trying to make them pleasant. That they're all strategies to take care of ourselves. So we don't need to be in a fight with it. It's like, oh, right, I'm trying to make things comfortable. And that isn't comfortable, so I want rid of it. And in the aversion, we can see what 
what is what are we paying attention to how are we connecting with something are we putting our attention somewhere that isn't skillful when i first when i first started sitting retreats here at spirit rock it was a brand new center when i i had started sitting here um and i was an architect at that time and here's this gorgeous hall and this beautiful center and i was sort of in architect critique mode and i just kept finding all the things that were a problem fortunately for me i can't remember what they were <laughs> but at the time i it was amazing watching how out of all this beauty i could find the problems conditioned a conditioned response so like all of these the possibility of moving away from it seeing the or applying an antidote of being friendly of recognizing of putting our attention where uh there's more ease and then ultimately feeling it in the body noticing how it might make us feel good or how it is familiar or how we might try to be create safety and feeling what it's like in the body what does aversion feel like how do you know it's here does it bring you some satisfaction and safety noticing checking it out letting it be an exploration and then there's a quality of restlessness the buddha spoke about this is wind stirring the surface of the water wind and its agitating nature and restlessness is i like uh noticing both a mental aspect to restlessness and a physical aspect to restlessness and you'll probably recognize for your in your own experience uh both of those sometimes it's just like so physical it's like ants in your pants kind of feeling it's like if i sit here another second i'm going to jump out of my skin i can tell from the giggles you've had that experience um some of you at least and it's like oh wow it's just a whole lot of energy and it's good to recognize it's just a lot of energy oh this is what ungrounded wind stirred energy feels like and then there's another kind of well actually let me say a little bit more about that is one way of working with that is to feel it in the body to really notice it wow what does this feel like is it you know and we have this idea we're going to jump out of your skin but i have yet to see anybody jump out of their skin it may feel that way but can you just be with the unpleasantness of it can you tolerate it or you might try to find a way a place in your body maybe it's just your hands maybe it's a way with your breath that you can breathe down into the ground maybe there's a way to bring a little bit of calm into the system 
might give you a little opening, a little relaxation. But there's also the possibility, as you feel into the restlessness, one of the things that can sometimes be happening is there's a reason for the restlessness. Maybe something's coming up that's agitating for you, something that you may or may not want to feel, and that the reason you want to jump up from your cushion is you're getting kind of close to something unfamiliar, something that some emotion that you're not really sure you want to experience, some memory that's floating up towards the surface, some hurt or sadness. And the restlessness, like all of the hindrances, including especially the sloth and torpor, can be used as avoidance strategies to avoid feeling something that's here. And the only thing we can do, it's uh, the way through, the way to them is through them. We have to experience the restlessness or the tiredness or the wanting. And what else is here? Feeling it in the body. Oh, underneath this is this great well of sadness. Oh, underneath this is a deep insecurity and not knowing about who I am and what I'm doing. Oh, what's here is these memories. And so this is how we find our way through the portal, by feeling them and seeing When something arises, when a hindrance starts getting us, there's a reason. What else is here? Either we've seen something unpleasant or we've heard something or we're having a memory. Something is going on that is asking for our attention. Can you attend to it? Can you attend to it? Sometimes with restlessness, we might just put in a subtle thing. May there be some calm here? Can I breathe? Can I, with the exhale, relax and soften enough to tolerate this and then to attend to it? One thing about restlessness is to really acknowledge, again, Deeply cultured. Deeply cultured. We are in such a hurry to get things done in our culture that, of course, when we stop, you know, there's like, I should be doing something. So there's the physical aspect, which also bleeds in and feeds back and forth with a mental aspect. So mental expressions of restlessness might be planning energy. How many people have done a little planning on this retreat? (laughs) And worry, anxiety are just another kind of expressions of that futuring restlessness. 
And so it's good to just name it. Oh, planning again, planning again. And there's so many, um, I have found for myself, I said I used to be an architect, so they're, uh, you're, I'm rewarded. I was rewarded for planning. So you too might have certain, have noticed that there's, that your uh, habits on the cushion may have be things that you were rewarded for, that have been successful as strategies. And so part of it, for me, the trick with planning was to feel the leaning energy, the leaning into the next moment, feeling how there was just kind of this pushing forward, passing on to the next. I think it's an energy a lot of us share very culturally. And we express it perhaps by worry, perhaps by planning, perhaps by just a lot of mental proliferation of what do I need to do? Isn't it funny? Like we've taken away like almost any planning and uh, about your day and like how many people have like had huge lengthy debates on their cushion about when exactly they're going to take a shower? (laughs) It's crazy, isn't it? Uh, a lovely uh, you can take these practices into your walking and in the in-betweening a beautiful practice somebody once shared with me is he really could feel the restlessness the pushing forward in his life and the need for ease and so he uh, tuned his walking meditation and he paid attention in his walking meditation to how when he picked up his foot, the, the leg relaxed and there was ease in it. And then he'd set it down and then he tuned to the relaxation in the foot of the other leg. And so his whole walking meditation became about tuning to the calm and the ease there. You might tune to the stillness in the breath, the gap, or the sense of flow in the breath. Not as a doing, not as a box to check, but rather as an allowing, a letting go of doing. And then there's tiredness, sloth and torpor, the mental and physical aspects of that. And first I want to name that when we come in to retreat, there often is sleep deprivation, physical fatigue, and then quickly as those, you know, over a not very long time, that may get replaced by boredom. Not much happening here. (laughs) Unless you really pay attention. And you get curious. Then what's happening? There's a lot going on, right? But it takes more subtlety. More attunement. 
And so when we're in a state of sloth and torpor, often what's happening is we're not quite the attunement, the ability to see is not yet attuned to the subtlety of what's happening. We have to tune more and more finely in order to see the less and less that is happening and to see the relevance and importance of what is happening, even though it seems so much less dramatic than what we're used to in our daily lives. One of the things that about this is that sometimes these hindrances, these challenges, or strong emotions, they can be helpful in our practice because it's like, this is something happening. I can pay attention to it. And then we can slowly bring more and more attention to the subtler and subtler states. I mentioned avoidance before, and uh, sloth and torpor, sleepiness, is one of the classic ways that we avoid emotional experiences, memories, experience sensations in the body. So if you find yourself sleepy, you might check and see, what else is here? What else is here? Is there something here that I'm not quite paying attention to? That I might not really want to pay attention to? And when I start getting close to it, I fade off. So this morning when I was talking about Vitaka Vichara, that connecting, sustaining, that is a primary antidote to sleepiness. This getting more subtle, more intimate, more curious. That's the antidote. That's what helps us through that. Curiosity brightens the mind, right? You can feel that. So the last of the classic list of hindrances is doubt. And the Buddha says, it's like being in a barren desert. No water anywhere. No water. And, you know, sometimes this expresses itself as feelings of indecision, of inadequacy, the self-critic. We can feel discouraged. Doubting the practice, doubting the teachers, doubting that we can do the practice, that the teachers are saying. It comes up in, but I hope you're starting to hear the consistent thing of doubt is that it's mental, that it's a thinking, it's a telling a story about. And one of the hard things about working with doubt, is that our tendency is to want to try to argue with it or think our way out of it. And it's like, it's like our, it always can find a way. It, it knows us really well. And it can just find a new angle that, uh, no, no, you're not actually doing very well. <laughs> no, no matter, but I'm, I'm still here, I'm sitting, I'm, yeah, but I saw you fall asleep. <laughs> So 
it doesn't help to argue with it. It's much more helpful it, it, the, is to come into direct contact with the immediate experience, to come into contact with the breath, with the body, with sound, to be in those modes, switching the channel, as I mentioned before, rather than trying to argue our way out of it. And if we can switch the channel and just go, I'm just going to do the practice. This is a place where impermanence is our friend. It will pass. It will pass. And when you're in a state of doubt, that's a place where the schedule is such an aid. You just follow the schedule. I'm sitting, I'm walking. And I don't know how I'm doing. I don't know if I'm doing it right. But I'm following the schedule. And I'll just keep plugging away. And the Buddha said, his instructions around this are to be, that the antidote for doubt is to be with the real quality of things. In other words, that sensoriness the sensory impressions, to be right there with what you can actually touch, feel, see, instead of what you think about. I wanted to add a couple of challenges because they're so common that we have. And I mentioned this at the beginning. One of them is judgment and self-critic. And my uh, continuing the Buddha's analogy that when we're in judgment and uh, self-critic, it's like we're criticizing the vessel that's holding the water and not even seeing that there's water in it. We're just distracted by the shape and the way it's not okay. And so in this, again, uh, recognition that there is judgment going on, whether self-directed or other-directed. We, we each might have tendencies towards one or the other, but it can be very... Um, this is one of the things that when we're on retreat, if the habit of self-critique and self-judgment become and other-judgment can become very obvious to us. It's going on. It's not like you started doing it when you got here. It's that it becomes very stark. Like you might notice it if you're judging other people that, wow, I don't even know these people and I've got all these stories about how they're not doing it or they're doing it better than me or they're not. And it's like, wow, look at that fabrication. And then we can have all the stories about how we're doing. And it's really important that we recognize it as a conditioned habit of mind. It's, it's not a reality. It's this habit that we probably acquired very early in life. Most of us acquired it from one parent or another that had a, was trying to help us out by giving us a lot of uh, instruction about how to do things right. And we internalize that, and we carry it around with us. And so, again, 
It's something that's trying to keep us safe. It's trying to have us do it right. Trying to tell other people how to do it right so that we'll all be safe. So it's good to make friends with. Start to go, oh yeah, there's, there's the one who's trying to make us all safe. Oh, and sometimes you can even recognize them. Oh yeah, there's mom stepping in to have an opinion about everything. Or dad or somebody else. And so starting to have a recognition that this is our poorest younger selves have taken on these voices and that now we're just sort of the speaker from which that voice is now playing itself out in the world. And when we're on retreat, we can start to develop a different relationship with that voice. We can start to go, oh yeah, I see you. There you are. The critic has arrived. You might give it a particular name, maybe some some friendly but not your name. For me, when, my, when I was in, the only time I ever got called Susanna was when I was in trouble. So I often named something Susanna. Ah, Susanna, there you are, having an opinion. Thanks. But I hope you can hear one of the most important parts of this is this shift in attitude. This like, oh yeah, I see you. I don't have to believe you. I can be kind towards you. I can understand you. I can feel the impact. But I don't have to believe you. So there's a couple other challenges that I mentioned at the beginning that I want to just take a moment with. I mentioned, um, oh, and my, my, um, my analogy for these is that the pond is here in front of us and we're spun around looking the other direction trying to find the pond. So songs, movies, fantasies. Songs, some people have this, and we've got a couple questions about songs already. And sometimes it can help to feel the song might be giving you a hint to some sort of emotional state, some sort of feeling that's underneath that you associate with that song. And sometimes it's helpful just to... Again, switch the channel and let it go in the background. Fantasy. It's really interesting. I mentioned this this morning about our addiction to certain things. If you find yourself floating off into fantasy a lot, you might notice, oh, I actually really enjoy this. This is more fun than what's here. And in that, you can see you've lost track of your intention. You've lost track of your preference for clarity and truth and understanding. And instead, you're going for just what's pleasant in the moment. And so the invitation is to be willing to let go of the momentary pleasure, 
for the greater happiness that you're cultivating. So with all of these, this invitation, which is the directions we're starting to move with our practice of meeting what's here. And there's a a way of thinking about it that I want to name. It's like, this is what's here. And our attention is like our hand. And it comes and meets what's here. And it senses it, it feels it, it forms to it, doesn't grab hold of it and squeeze it. And it also doesn't throw it away and doesn't fail to meet it. And it can meet it and get to know what's here. And then it may find that the thing to do is to set it down, to hold it close to our hearts and get to know it, make friends, see what it can do. Fall in love with it. I'll end with a poem, again from Rosemary Watula Tromer, called Porous. Yesterday I widened to hold it all, made room in the heart for every pain, every joy, a vase infinitely large to hold an infinite bouquet of feelings. Today, all it took was two beautiful questions. Why do you think you must hold it all? What if you let it all pass through? In that moment, the vase didn't shatter. It simply disappeared. And the infinite feelings I'd been stretching to hold, I felt them. I felt them all, then felt them move through me the way water runs through a colander the way oxygen moves through the thin walls of alveoli, the way sand moves through the center of the the hourglass. So let's let the words settle for a moment. You can just stay right where you are. Let's let yourself settle. In the infinite feelings I'd been stretching to hold, I felt them, I felt them all, then felt them move through me the way water runs through a colander, the way oxygen moves through the thin walls of alveoli, the way sand moves through the center of the hourglass.
Thank you for your practice. Thank you for your kind attention. So we have a walking period, and then we can come back for some chanting and a final sit. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.